John chapter 17, and it looks like we're going to be three sermons in John 17, and uh, we actually have, after we finish John 17, we have four more chapters to go and we'll be done with uh, the Gospel of John. I was looking back at um, the preaching calendar and I think we started preaching John sometime in July or August of last year, so uh, we've We've made a good time with that, and uh, we'll be done here in just a, a couple of months, probably, or maybe three months, somewhere around there. Uh, but anyway, today our text is uh, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, and, and uh, to me, we're, we're starting a, a wonderful chapter in the Gospel of John, and this, uh, this chapter, just like John chapter 16 was pretty awesome, uh, John chapter 17 is a prayer from Jesus to the Father, and we'll get more into that as I, as I read, but this is definitely a wonderful uh, chapter for us to dive into. And it seems like ever since we started going over the last half of John, it's been very relevant for today and for everything that we're going through and in the world. Uh, God has given us comfort through walking through the Gospel of John, and believe me, I didn't plan it that way. It's just the way, it's just the way God works in this providence, so we're praising God for that. But let's go ahead and uh, read John 17, verses 1 through 5 this morning. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. So if you would do me a favor, if you would uh, bookmark a couple of, of chapters, I need you to bookmark uh, Psalm chapter 2. Because uh, we are going to look at that. I need you to bookmark Luke 22. And then I also need you to bookmark uh, Daniel chapter 7. And while you're at it, if you want to bookmark Philippians chapter 2 as well. A lot of bookmarks, but you could do dog ears on your Bible if, if you do that. So, so that's going to be uh, Psalm 2. Luke 22, um, Philippians 2, and Daniel 7. Just save you some time uh, in the near future when we go to those texts. And so as I said before, chapter 17 contains the prayer of Jesus, and this is occurring before he's arrested and crucified. Now what's really cool about this chapter is that, um, you know, prayer life is really, uh, it's really private for one thing, really intimate it's an intimate conversation that we have with God. And in prayer, there are things that we say that, you know, we don't tell just everybody. And it's us pouring our hearts out to our Father who is in heaven. And so prayer is, is something that is special and, and something that, again, is very private to us. Um, I think we would all be troubled maybe if, our prayer was, if our prayers were voiced where everybody could hear them, we'd be a lot more cautious in our prayers, wouldn't we? 
and what we were saying to God and what we were asking for and, and you know, just what we were praying for. Uh, but what's really just special about this chapter is you see the curtain pull back and it's pulled back for us so that we are able to see this, uh, this prayer between the Son of God and, and the Father. And if we don't really like stop and think about how special that is, we, we will miss the impact of what John 17 is saying here and, and what Jesus is saying in his prayer. Uh, like I said, prayer is, is something that we do when we're pouring out our hearts to God. So this is the, the, the Son pouring out his heart to the Father. And it's amazing what he prays for um, here in this intimate moment. And what's amazing about it is that, uh, not only amazing, but it's also very humbling, is that a major part of Jesus' prayer uh, to the Father is for you. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's for you. We walk around and we say, hey, pray for me. Right? We tell each other, pray for me. And, and we mean it. But listen, the Son of God, in John chapter 17, a major part of that chapter is him praying for you. That's, that's truly amazing. And, and it's, it's very comforting. Because we know that when we pray, we don't always pray the will of God. And then therefore, we don't know how things are going to turn out with our prayer life. There are things that we pray for that we think are, are good and godly and that we think that they should happen, but yet they don't happen. And we're sitting there wondering like, well, how was I off? Well, the Son of God always prayed the will of God. He, he was the Word, the Word who became flesh. So as we read his prayer here in John chapter 17, and as we break it down, we'll come to understand that what he prayed for will come to fruition and is, is coming to fruition, maybe already has in many, in many instances. So as you read this, this uh, chapter and you see Jesus praying for you, it may take away a lot of the fears that you have, the anxieties that you have, the doubts that you have about your relationship with God, about your faith, about your your existence in the world, it'll take all those things away because you know that Jesus has already prayed for you concerning that. And what he has asked the Father, well, it will be answered the way he has asked it. So here in his last moments, he's praying for us. And my goal is to take you through this prayer section at a time. And today, of course, we're going through verses 1 through 5, and there we see that Jesus begins by praying for himself. And we'll, we'll talk about that and what that means. But then you look at verses 6 through 19, and Jesus prays specifically for the disciples. And we'll see how that relates to us too next week. And then in verses 20 through 26, that's where Jesus prays for all believers. All believers. And obviously, uh, we come in in the whole chapter, but right there in that section, verses 20 through 26, uh, God decided to uh, peel back the curtain so that we can see what Jesus is asking the Father for us. So it's, it's really, really cool. But today, uh, I want to take a look at Jesus' prayer for himself, and I, I, want to, I want us to see what it reveals about our own nature, his nature, and how the world should see him. And I'll give you a hint. It has to do with the title. Christ is king, or Christ the king. And that's the way the world should see him. So let's look at our passage. Verse 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, listen very carefully right here, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now, there's one key phrase in that, in that um, verse that comes to mind, and it's the fact that the hour has come. Now, throughout the gospel, if, you, if you've paid attention, early on in, in the gospel of John, people would come up to Jesus and ask him to do something, uh, ask him to fulfill uh, his, his calling here on this earth to bring God's kingdom to fruition, and he, his answer was always, the hour has not yet come. There are several examples of that. John chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 7, verse 6, chapter 8, uh, verse, thir- verse 30, chapter 8, verse 20. So there are plenty of different examples of where Jesus says, the hour has not yet come. It, it's not time yet. It's not time for you to see my glory. It's not time to, uh, to, for, for the end of my ministry. None of that is, 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 it's not time for any of that, excuse me. But here we see that the hour has arrived. And the hour that has arrived is a pretty special hour. It's, it's the hour that God had, had already determined where his eternal plan for redemption of his people would take place by the arrest, the crucifixion, and then eventually the exaltation of Christ. That's the hour that's come. It's a pretty big moment in human history, right? Because this is where like, the world has always had a sin problem. And there has been no answer for it. You go back to the Old Testament. You see one hero, biblical hero, after another fall to sin. Why? Because they're just like us. We we can't meet God's standard. You see one after another fall, 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 fall. Why? They were pointing to a Savior that was coming, Jesus Christ, who would not fall. So he came, and now here's the special moment. Yes, the incarnation when he was when he was born, when he came down, special moment. We recognize that. But also this moment when he's about to be lifted up on the cross, it's a special moment. And the Bible had been pointing to this moment all along. And now it's here. As we're reading in John 17, Jesus says the hour has come. And God, God's eternal plan for the redemption of his people will be fulfilled and what a special moment that is as we're reading that in John chapter 17 because this is where this is where we have our salvation this is where it's it's revealed to us that that God had a plan he wasn't caught by surprise in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned he had a plan Jesus is always that plan and now it's coming to fruition so it's 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 wonderful And it was at this hour here in John chapter 17 that Jesus begins to pray. And we know that he begins to pray because it's obviously if you look at the language, it says he lifted up his eyes to heaven and then he began to speak to the father. Uh, We read he lifted up his eyes to heaven. It reminds me of Psalm 121. It says this, Psalm 121 verses 1 through 2 say, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I love, the, I love the, the, the phrase, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Because that's exactly where we need to lift up our eyes every single day through all situations. See, we need to look at Jesus and, and, and see how that should serve as an example to all of us. That in times of trouble and also in times of peace, that we need to lift up our eyes to heaven and we need to pray. 
As the Bible tells us, we need to pray without ceasing. And Jesus gives us that wonderful example here in this passage. Now, this prayer obviously is perfect because it came from Jesus. So it's spectacular. But what makes it special, what makes it spectacular, what makes it, what makes it perfect is that instead of trying to avoid the moment, because Jesus knows what's coming, and instead of trying to avoid the moment, Christ is praying for the Father's will to be done. He's praying for the Father's will to be done. I don't know if you notice that in our verses, that's exactly what he's praying for when he's praying for himself. Now, that really goes against the way we pray sometimes, right? Because we might end our prayer, Lord, your will be done, but we spent maybe 30 minutes trying to convince the Lord of how we want it done. Amen? We spent a lot of time trying to go through different scenarios of how, God, you can accomplish this, but in the very end, okay, your will be done. And then when his will is done and it doesn't match up with ours, we're kind of upset about that, right? But here, Jesus is concerned about the will of the Father. Why? Because he's concerned about the glory of the Father. And it's, it's perfect. And so in this prayer, Jesus just lays it out there and, and, and he's, he's just concerned about the Father's will and, and, and how he will accomplish that. And we see that more in more detail in Luke chapter 22. So if you would turn to 22 with me. There's really, the, the section is verses 41 through 44, but I really just need to read um, verse 42. This is when Jesus is praying on the Mount of, of Olives and some of the disciples are near. I'll go ahead and read 41 and 42. And uh, it says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, Christ's example here of praying for the Father's will to be done above all else is another great example for us when it comes to prayer. This is something that we really need to pay attention to. Because Here's the question. How often do we say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, but really mean it? How often are we asking, how often are we saying that? How often do we place our trust in the will of God, even when it doesn't match up with what we want? That's really true today, especially if you're a Republican today. Right. If you're a Republican today, you didn't get your way. you it didn't go your way. Your vote wasn't the vote that won. Let me ask you, how are you responding to that today? Because there's there's a lot of stuff going on and you see it all over Facebook and and, and all other. Media outlets and just everywhere. And people are bitter. People are upset. People want to get even. People want to. Cause anarchy. Why? Because their way, their will wasn't accomplished. But guess whose was? God's was. 
right? We may not like the results, but God's will be done. How much are you trusting in God's will right now today? That's a perfect example for what's going on in today's world. And, and here, we are, we are told in Scripture, we are, it is exemplified for us that we need to trust the will of the Father no matter what. Because ultimately, it's his will that prevails. We need to be that, that tree in the wind that is swaying back and forth with the will of God. If we're not willing to bend, then we're going to break. And we need to remember that as we live our lives. So Christ exemplifies that for us in this prayer that he gives to the Father. Also, let's look at verses 2 and 3. Very important here, too. Why? Because eternal life is mentioned. And Jesus says, this is eternal life. So, but even before we get to that point, verse 2, Jesus begins to, uh, or we begin to read about the glorification of the Son. That, that term is used a lot here in verses 1 through 5. You see the glorify, glorification, you see that term. And, it, and Jesus is praying for him to receive glory not only the Father to receive, receive glory, but for him to receive glory as well. Well, what does it mean for Jesus to pray that the Father glorify him? First, first we must understand that this moment in time is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. As I told you before, the Bible has always pointed to Christ, especially in the Old Testament, points to a Savior to come. And this is a crucial moment in, in biblical history. And so, this is like, like in the incarnation, whenever all the angels appeared, and it was a big deal. This is a big deal, too. And this is where we start to see one prophecy after another fulfilled with the arrest and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. But one of the prophecies here that is fulfilled, if you go to Psalm chapter 2, I want to read that for you. Psalm chapter 2, and I want to read verses 6 through 12 for you. When you read this verse alone, it's like, okay, what does that mean? When you put it with what's happening here in John chapter 17, you're like, oh, okay, I completely understand now. Psalm 2, verse 6, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That prophecy is pointing to this exact moment in time when Jesus would be glorified through the crucifixion and through his resurrection. See, what we have to understand is that the purpose of Jesus being glorified is so that the Father will receive glory for
from what the Son has done. That's exactly why Jesus is asking for glory, so that the Father will be glorified. To glorify means to praise or to bring honor to. So God's purpose is that all should honor the Son, even as they have honored the Father. That is the whole purpose. We need to look, as the, we need to look at the Son just as we look at the Father. He is God. And at the end of verse 2, Jesus says that the Son brings glory to the Father by... If you look at verse 2, this is extremely important. How does he bring glory to the Father? By giving eternal life to whom he has given him, to whom the Father has given to Jesus. That is how he is glorifying the Father. He brings glory to the Father by giving eternal life to whom he has given him. It says, to all whom you have given him. That's who he gives eternal life to. This verse points out, number one, the sovereignty of God in giving eternal life to those whom he chooses. And then also, it points to the purpose of his salvation. Like, you know, I don't know if you've understood it this way, but you weren't saved just to be saved. Does that make any sense? Anybody hearing me this morning? Are you all awake? Yeah? You weren't saved just to be saved. Though we might, it might seem that way. It's like, oh, I received salvation, so then I'm good now. I'm good, I'm safe, I'm, I'm blessed. And now I'm just going to rest in my salvation. We weren't saved to be saved. We were saved to serve. That make any sense to right we were saved and we were saved to serve we have a purpose that's what I'm trying to get across and that purpose is to serve God to serve God who who gave us salvation who gave us life who gave us all things we are to serve God in the way that it, we worship him because that's the purpose of every human being is to worship their maker to worship God for who he is so that's why I say we weren't saved to be saved, just to be saved. Actually, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. In fact, it says we are his workmanship. First of all, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. We were saved for good works. And those are the works that the Spirit does in us. So we weren't saved just to take it easy and not do anything and enjoy life. We were saved to enjoy life in serving Christ. That's exactly what our salvation is for. And that's exactly what we, as God's people, should be doing. So here in, in our verse right now, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give glory to the Father because I am saving those, Father, that you have sent to me. And once I save them, they in turn are going to glorify you by their lives. And they're also going to glorify me. So with Jesus praying that he get the glory, he's actually glorifying the, the, the Father. And then in turn, he's saving us, who we, through our lives, are glorifying the Father and the Son and it all goes back to Christ and what he has done. 
Verse 3, this is critical. It says, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is this, according to this verse. It's knowing God as the only true God. And it's knowing Christ as the only true Savior. Now, that's eternal life. See, because when we think about eternal life, and sometimes we, we think about it in our head, we think about a place. We think about, you know, a lot of different things that come into play. But here the Bible is saying eternal life is knowing God as the only true God and knowing Jesus as the only true Savior. Without knowing those things and believing them, then there is no eternal life for us. And there are verses in the Bible, especially here in John, in, in the Gospel of John, John 6, No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. That's what Jesus says. So we see the drawing of the Father. No one can come to Christ unless the Father draws him in. And then we also see in John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We put those two verses together. If we are going to have eternal life, it's us acknowledging and knowing by faith that there's only one God and that there's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is eternal life. See, the knowledge of the true God and of Jesus Christ is exclusive because he is the only true God. Now, knowing God is only part of it. Truly knowing God can only be, part, can only be accomplished through faith. Having, having a, 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 an idea of who God is, knowing about God is only part of it. That's what I meant to say. But truly knowing God can only be accomplished through faith. See, knowing God is a personal relationship with him. And it entails several different things. It entails fellowship, trust, and faith. And all all of that is expressed in obedience and love. It's all those things. So if, if there's a lack of fellowship, there's a lack of trust, there's a lack of faith, then there's an issue. If there is no fellowship, no trust, and no faith in God, then we cannot know God. Not, not in a salvific way, we cannot know God. We have to know him through fellowship, through trust, and through faith. It's not just something that we think of and say, okay, well, I read about God in the Bible, so then therefore I know him. It goes beyond that, and that's what's being expressed here in this verse. And then Jesus continues here in verses 4 and 5, and this is where we will end for today. In these final verses... Jesus finishes off his prayer, continuing to talk about the glory he had once before. And this prayer, again, this is where he's praying for himself and he's asking for this glory to return to him. So in this final part, Jesus, again, is praying for himself and he prays specifically for the Father to glorify him. It says, with the glory that he had once before. Now, that tells us something about the incarnation when Jesus came to earth. It was a humbling act for him to take on flesh. And the Bible tells us that, too. 
It was an humbling act because he took on flesh and he died on the cross. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. I want to read those for you real quick. It says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. It's very important. He emptied himself. That means he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, what we have to understand here is that the incarnation was extremely important and it was extremely humbling. I want, you, I want you to think about this. Like this is God, the creator of all things. He humbled himself to take on flesh and to die a sinner's death. And when we read a passage like Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it's extremely important that we recognize what has been done on the cross because that's the example that we are called to follow. Jesus trusted the Father. He, 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 he went through the plan. He was obedient all the way to the point of death. And it, the scripture says even death on a cross. Now as we look at Christ and we see how he prays for himself and he's asking for this glory to be restored to him. I'll tell you what, he's the only one who's ever deserved to ask that. There have been plenty of times in my life where I have been disciplined by the Lord. Or I don't even know what's going on. Things have been taken away. And I ask for the Father to give those things back to me. And every time I've ever asked that, I don't deserve it. It's based on his kindness and his mercy towards me. But here, Jesus is the only one to ask for this and be fully deserving of his glory to be given back to him. See, when we look at what Jesus did and we look at the cross and we look at his ascension or rather his exaltation, when we look at those two things, they were inseparable. You cannot have him glorified without him crucified. Why? Because if he was never crucified, then we would not be forgiven. There was no point in him being glorified because he had glory already. He humbled himself so that he would be crucified and then therefore glorified. Because of what he has done for us. So we must understand that the primary meaning of to glorify is to clothed in splendor. So Jesus is asking the Father this. He's asking the Father to reverse Jesus' self-emptying, his incarnation, his humbleness in coming in human form. He's asking the Father to reverse that and to restore him the splendor that he shared with the Father before the world began. That's exactly what's going on here. And that's how Jesus starts this prayer here in John chapter 17. And we get to read this. It's amazing. Because you ever ask yourself, 
questions about God, like, first of all, like, why, why this way? Why this way? If God is all-knowing, all-powerful, everything, why he, did he let Adam and Eve sin? Why didn't he stop them? I, I mean, it could go on and on and on. You're always asking yourself these questions, why, 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 or how, how, how. And here, we get to read a prayer from the Son to the Father explaining how and why. And the answer, if, if, if you need help with it, the answer is so that God can get the glory. That's the answer. That's the answer to everything. Even things that we can't explain, things we don't understand. We sit there and wonder, why did this happen? How did it happen? The answer is so that God can get the glory. And that's exactly what Jesus is revealing to us here in this prayer. He's getting the glory. The Father's getting the glory. And we're getting to read it and see it. I don't know, just truly amazing to me. See, the way of glory for Jesus was through the agonizing death on the cross. Jesus' purpose in bearing the cross was to take our sin away. See, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is the point of no return. This is where Jesus, if he were selfish, God forgive me for even saying that, but if he were selfish, if he had a selfish bone in his body, this is where he would have said, Father, never mind. I don't want to do this. I have my glory in heaven. Just take me back right now. These people aren't worth it. They don't listen to me. They're trying to crucify me. Just, they're not worth it. I'll go back with you. But that's not what he's asking. He says, Father, your will be done. Your will be done. See, as a result of his obedience and him completing his work, Jesus is acknowledging it is time for me to be exalted. It's time for me to be exalted. And that's where we turn to Daniel. Daniel is one of my favorite books in the Bible, but Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 7. This is another prophecy here that, that is critical for us to, uh, to bring up and to read right now. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is where Daniel sees, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heavens, there came one like a son of man. And that's, that's, that's the Lord. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. See, I know I keep on saying this because I'm just overwhelmed with this prayer of Jesus, but this part of Jesus' prayer is, is powerful and it's beautiful because of what it reveals 
First of all, it's as if as Christ is saying this. It's as, well, it's as if he's recalling the eternal agreement that, that him and the Father made. That, that's exactly what he's doing. And that's why I say this is very important for us to, to really consider what's being said because there are answers given to us about, about all kinds of things. And Jesus is recalling the eternal agreement that he made with the Father to redeem mankind. Jesus is saying, I have done my part by obeying you and I will complete the job by going to the cross. Now, Father, do your part in giving me back the glory that I once had. And that's how he is closing out this section here in verses four and five. So we know that Jesus did it all perfectly. He received his glory and the Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of God. Now, how should that affect us? Well, number one, it's humbling. It's humbling to see that Christ gave up or excuse me. It's humbling to see what Christ gave up for us. It's Very humbling. We didn't deserve it, and yet he did it. It's also encouraging to know that we are guarded and we are guided by the king of kings. Now, let me leave you with this, because I I, I do want to address what's going on in our nation today. And I, I want to help you think through it from a spiritual perspective. We serve a mighty God. And from just looking at verses 1 through 5, it's easy to see that he is king. There is, no other, there is no else. He is king and he is sovereign. And all things happen according to his will. Now, when we read verses 1 through 5, we get a glimpse of what his calling was, what Jesus' calling was, how he fulfilled it and why he fulfilled it. And as I said to you before, everything is for the glory of God. Everything. And I was convicted this week because I don't know about you, but I've been uh, I've been watching more TV than usual and for sure more news than usual. I really try to stay away from the news because I try to get my news by reading instead of watching because it's just very frustrating. And even trying to read Objective news is very difficult as well. But as I, if I'm looking at social media, I'm looking at different articles, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think things through. I don't know about you, but I started to worry a little bit, panic a little bit. Because I was very concerned. I've been watching the Senate races very closely. If you're not aware, there are two key runoff Senate races going on right now. And those two key runoffs, those, those races, if, if the Republicans lose, and that gives the Democrats the control of everything. Now listen, I'm not doing Republicans versus Democrats. I'm not doing that. But there's something that I do believe. I do not believe that one political party should be in charge of everything because that just causes chaos. That's why there's checks and balances, right? So if this were all... Democrats controlling everything or all Republicans controlling everything, this would be a concern of mine. 
I really try not to get political with you guys. But this goes beyond political. This, this addresses our relationship with God and where our trust is. So as I was sitting there thinking about these two runoff races that are going to happen in January, I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, my goodness. Like, I, I need to just pray really, really hard that, that the Republicans can at least control the Senate. So then, therefore, there's the, that check and balance and, and, and at least things can be discussed and, and not everything will just be passed. So I start to worry, start to panic, start to think about that. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, Biden has already won the presidency. The House is already controlled by the Democrats, the Senate. What are we going to do if, if, if that's overtaken by the de- Democrats as well? What are we going to do? And I'm not the only ones. There are plenty of people that are thinking the same thing. And then I started thinking, what in the world are you doing? Like, is, is the president, does, is he your God? Is the Senate your God? Is the House of Representatives, is that your God? Who are we going to trust? It, it should never change for us. Christ is high and exalted. He is the king of kings. And I'm watching Christians everywhere just go nuts. It's the end of the world. No, it's not. It will be the end when Christ returns. This is his kingdom. Listen, you live in a democracy, but this is not a democracy. God rules over his kingdom. I need to remember that. You need to remember that. He's received the glory that he had once before. He let it go and he received it again and he is king. So as Christians, we need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our nation. We need to be involved Always involved with the gospel in mind, fighting against darkness. We need to be supporting things of the light. It doesn't change for us. We don't become bitter. We don't become angry. God has spoken. We need to trust the Lord and move on. And believe me, I'm speaking to myself more than I am anybody else. But we need to trust the Lord because he is king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.